uh, terrorism incidents that um, sort of point to the Islamic State. And a lot of people have been talking about this in the presidential campaign. Um, what do we do about the Islamists and how do we deal with um, Islamic populations in the United States? Uh, everything from uh, bar new immigrants uh, who are of a particular religion to um, start monitoring closely uh, communities that have Islamic members. And um, I found myself very much in a pushback mode, but not really able to uh, really enunciate um, or, or talk about my objection to that kind of viewpoint. Um, so I thought, well, maybe there'd be a TED Talk on something like this. And, and I found something, something that actually does what a lot of us, I think, um, in the scientific community and maybe even in this religious community do, which is to sort of fall back and study the problem a little bit or study the issue a little bit. And so I came across a TED Talk by a woman named uh, Leslie Hazelton. Does anyone know Leslie Hazelton? Familiar with her? Okay. Are you? Okay. So um, uh, Dale knows about her. Uh, I was completely unfamiliar with her, but I found a, a TED Talk, and I listened to it, and I thought, oh, you know, that's, that's pretty good. And I thought it was also in line with some of the thinking that we have in, in this denomination, the way we like to approach issues. Um, so her book from 1913 is a biography of Muhammad, okay, and it's called The First Muslim. And her talk here kind of addresses some issues in this book and what she came up against when she was writing the book. So I thought, oh, this, this would be something that we could look at today and then have a discussion. Yeah. Uh, sorry, 2013. 2013. Why would I do that? I misspeak in some weird way. Um, yeah, 2013. No, she's current. She's current, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And she's been reincarnated. So, Okay, so let me just give you a, a little bio off, the, uh, off Wikipedia, which is um, actually also extracted from here, excerpted from there. Leslie Hazelton born 1945, is a British-American author whose work focuses on the vast and volatile arena in which politics and religion intersect. Her latest book is called Agnostic, A Spirited Manifesto. It's going to be published this year. In fact, it's supposed to be published this next week, uh, April 5th. Um, it was listed by Publishers Weekly as one of the most anticipated books of the spring. She reported from Jerusalem for time. She has written on Middle East um, issues for numerous publications, including the New York Times, New York Review of Books, Harper's, The Nation, and The New Republic. She was born in England. She was based in Jerusalem from 1966 to 1979, and in New York City from 1979 to 1992. And she lives in Seattle now <laughs> in a floating home. I've actually been on one of those floating homes. They're, they're kind, of, kind of fun. Um, I, I won't go there. Um, and she became a U.S. citizen. She has two degrees in psychology, uh, one from Manchester University and one from Hebrew University of Jerusalem. Um, so what I'll do is I'll put on her, um, her TED Talk. It's sort of 13 minutes long. And um, when that's done, I have a few questions that I'll use to lead a discussion. Okay.
get this to work. Um, so I, I wanted to do sort of a, a guided kind of uh, discussion here. And so I, I thought of three questions which, um, to my mind, kind of encapsulates um, her talk and the issues I thought she brought up. Uh, so the first is, what did Leslie Hazelden say about Muhammad that surprised you or caught your interest? Because uh, that's how she starts out. Does anyone have a comment on that? Yeah. At the bottom. All new systems here. Uh, I did not know the story about um, his his fear and and uh, his his reaction to um, the the revelation, mm -hmm. and that gave me a, a whole different view of him. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I, I, I didn't know that either. I thought that was a great opening to what else she had to say. And, and also that whole idea about um, uh, her definition of faith. Yeah. yeah. Perhaps I missed it, but I don't I think she said anything about what... what um, what he was before he had his revelation, was he a scholar? Was he, uh, he was a merchant. He was what? A merchant. He was a merchant. Yeah. And an educated person? Uh, I don't believe so. I think he had a scribe write down what he was saying. Uh, so I don't, I don't know that, that he, he was able to write. Thank you. Yeah. That, that agrees with what yes. you know? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. He lived in a city that was primarily polytheistic and believed in the, the jinns, which we would call uh, devils. Yeah. And, and my understanding is a lot of what uh, Islam was trying to do was to uh, correct the, um, the errors of the current religions, including Christianity and Judaism that uh, they, they were seen to have strayed from their um, original purpose. I've read a little bit of the book by Karen Armstrong, mm -hmm. A Brief History of Islam, and she addresses some of that, and it was polytheistic. Um, in that book, she says Muhammad really wanted to unite the Arabs. Um, they didn't have a, a book Christians had the Bible, uh, and the Jews have the 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 the, the Torah. Thank you. Um, and so his his vision, not not like the vision that she's talking about, but his goal for their society was to have a strong, united society to hold their own in the world. Um, and then uh, I want to move on to the second question. Uh, in what way do you think that Leslie Hazelton has found the key to the faith versus fanatic puzzle? Would people like to speak on that issue? Because um, I, I found it very, very interesting, her um, uh, re requiring doubt as part of faith, that without doubt uh, she claims that, that faith is, is, not real, is something else that a blind adherence to a set of rules 
is um, is not what she would call faith. Um, and then she calls that, that uh, fanaticism or, you know, beyond orthodoxy, but um, uh, going into that, that fringe area. And uh, I was particularly interested that she gave an example for each of the uh, three monotheistic religions. Um, the... Uh, it, it sort of goes along with it. somebody else I, I read one time that said that it is impossible to have faith unless you're a thinking person. Mm-hmm. People without process of thought, just like blind followers, cannot have faith. It's, it's kind of the same line, just said in different ways. She seems to speak of faith uh, as though uh, there are sort of two approaches, that of the fanatic and that of what at least the rest of us should be in. And the problem I had with that is uh, I think that there is at least a third state in which uh, uh, you don't regard faith as a goal outright. It's something that comes along with something else that you regard as your actual goal outright, namely uh, a methodology of exploration. Faith comes along with it, uh, and hopefully you work over the method and try to make something sensible out of it uh, and not spend your life asking, uh, you know, why uh, uh, is faith giving me so much trouble? Why do I feel skeptical? Uh, You you would rather uh, straighten it out. And this has a lot to do with uh, what I regard as the basic definition of science, that uh, unlike the strifes that came earlier, where people were hunting for what was behind everything, uh, namely God, uh, rather you're hunting for the relationship between parts, and you understand that you have the right to feel you have explained something when you've worked that out, you will never get at uh, some final foundation, and you don't need to. You don't worry about that. Um, I liked very much of what she said. I think there was a part um, right in this topic that bothered me, which was sort of it was such a strong dichotomy that she was making between you know those who are skeptical and have faith based on a lot of serious questioning and those who are absolutely sure and can become fanatical. I think there are, um, it's a spectrum, and I think there are people all over the spectrum um, with varying degrees of certainty about what they know and what they don't know. I mean, I happen to be very skeptical, but I think it's not as black and white as she was making it sound. I wondered if maybe one of the reasons she was trying to outline the difference so um, distinctly was buried in her comment about we're ceding the stage to the fanatics rather than um, to the people who claim to have answers. And I think it's a lot harder to claim the stage when all you have to offer are questions. Um, Even though to me that is comforting to know that other people have questions. 
it um, put me in mind of a book that my father insisted I read as a teenager by Eric Hoffer called The True Believer, where he talks about the psychological profile of fanatics. Eric Hoffer was a what, a loading dock worker who became a philosopher. <laughs> yeah, he was a longshoreman. Longshoreman, sorry. And um, uh, just a lot of the points reminded me of that and that fanatics have such similar psychological profiles that sometimes they even switch what they're fanatic about. And they're equally fanatic. They switch their causes. All right, anyone else have a, oh, there's George. Yeah, one thing that this brings up is the idea that how does this affect universality? Because, you know, not all people have the same tools or the same experiences. So if there is universal um, truth, we have to have it so that everyone is capable to some extent to get there. Now, what that really means, I don't know. But there's the, the idea of science is to, to explain how things happen, not why. And I think the, the, the essential for faith really comes down to keep going back and back to the, the essentials of why are we here, what are we for, you know, that kind of stuff. And fanatical people I don't think are that much different than non-fanatic. But I think people that are not fanatical have a little more hope and, and see things a little differently than people that are fanatical. And you don't want to feed. I mean, we're all susceptible, I think, to fanaticism. I know I certainly am. But we have to fight that, that urge because it simplifies things so much. And I think that's maybe a good way of looking at it is it, it simplifies. You know, that I, I just have to do this stuff and believe this and I'm good as opposed to, well, this person has a good point also. So I think that should be brought into the conversation, too. I agree with those who have said she makes too broad a distinction between faith and doubt. And it often in our current vocabulary, um, Faith is that certain written things are true, and doubters don't think those things are true. And to avoid that dis that broad distinction, it's important to introduce, as George just did, hope, which has nothing to do with uh, statements, but has to do with a psychological condition. Yeah, so um, uh, it's, it's, it's nice to hear all these points brought up. Um, one of the things that impresses me about the, upon me about the uh, TED Talks is that they're fairly short. And so it's hard to get a lot of nuance in the 13 and a half minutes of, of her talk. Um, I'd be interested to see her, her new book that's coming out, that one um, agnostic, the manifesto that's coming out, supposed to come out this week. Um, Okay, so the last one is, um, what do you take away from this talk that informs your understanding of the world and its faith traditions? Anyone like to speak to that? Um, well, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with the second question, is that I think that 
her definition of faith and um, uh, is that uh, we have the world that we know, the facts that we know, um, and it's kind of two s- components of a whole. There are things that we don't know, things we may eventually know, but uh, but I think you have faith, as she was describing it, you need to accept and recognize that uh, both those parts, the things that we know and the things that we don't know, and... Uh, and you can call that a basis for hope, you know, that she gave her example of the Middle East, peace in the Middle East. There are things we know about that situation, and there are things we can't know that might be the case in the future. So uh, she has a basis of her hope there. But as far as I see the world and its faith traditions, to my limited understanding at least, it seems that people's way too often see things in black and white. They never see things as gray or fluid. It's either me or them, and I don't know what it will take to, for people to, to be able to see the whole transition between knowledge and faith and hope. Um. I I think <clears throat> there are there have been changes in in how we um perceive of faith but <clears throat> excuse me but fundamentalists are are locked into a <clears throat> sorry um a vision that that is is set in time um we have we have a mythology that dates back Two thousand years in in Christianity, and by um, by solidifying it in absolutes, we we keep it from from natural growth. And uh, I think I think that doubt is part of that, and and pulling on uh, life experience through time also helps that. And uh, so it's it's really it, it's it's important for faith traditions to be able to uh, to be fluid and and uh, I'm a, I'm afraid that they they won't be useful if they if they can't do that. Just a question I'm thinking about is um, when we say we don't want to cede the stage to fanatics and we think about all the ways that fanatics um, disturb us with their rigidity and their judging and so forth, by making them into such a them, um, are we ending up empowering them? Are we ending up reducing some of our own capabilities of of uh, working with them and changing their impact on the world. So you're saying we we need a dialogue? Is that is that what you're going with that? I'm not sure what we need, but somehow I just have this sense that that we can fall very much into us and them, and them being 
very dark creatures. Um, and I don't think that's kind of where we really want this to go. Yeah, so I'm reminded of um, uh, something that Michael Moore said. He was talking about how he'd interviewed a fellow who was uh, in the Nazi party, uh, an American Nazi, essentially, and uh, was asking him these questions. And, you know, in this interview, he was going to write this all up. But the guy was saying some very uh, damning things about his organization uh, from the point of view of you or, you or I. And so... Here, Michael Moore is thinking, well, I'm going to republish this, and all these people are going to see this organization for what it is. And uh, and he asked the guy that. He said, well, why are you talking to me? Why are you telling me all this? You know, Don't you know this is, this is going to be seen very negatively? And he said, yeah. He said, most people are going to see it very negatively. But you're going to reach a lot of people, the small fraction, small part of the population that I want to reach. By talking to you, I reach those people. And they may be converted to my cause. So it's not about everybody in concert and agreeing. It's about a call to the fanatics. And so if you think about that and you look at what the Islamic State is doing in the Middle East and everybody's saying, what are these guys doing? And this is outrageous behavior. And then some people have come forward and said, well, you know, they're not really trying to reach everybody. They're just trying to reach this small part of the population and uh, they can have a very impact. A great impact if they do that. I wanted to note that Michael Moore's uh, latest film is playing in Santa Fe this afternoon at uh, Vargas. That's what. What country will we invade next? Is that the one? Does anyone else have a, a comment they'd like to make? Um, Okay, well, thank you for attending and um, hope to see you at the future forums too.